and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, tabletop war games, and board games, and other things when we want to talk about those. I'm your host, Troy, my pronouns are he, him, and with me today, as always... I'm Ed, my pronouns are they and them, my apologies if I sound weird today, this is that glorious time of year that plants assault my nasal system, it's fun times. Yeah, down with pollen. Boo. Up with, um, I guess, nasal decongestant sprays. Down with pollen. Up with plant cloning. Or wherever they do, where they just clone themselves rather than producing pollen. I don't know. I'm not a botanist. What do you guys want from me? Down with pollen. Poison Ivy is clearly the most supervillain of all supervillains. I don't know what plant would be the most supervillain, but I have a feeling that we already talked about this. No, I mean, literally, Poison Ivy, Batman villain. Oh, got it. Because she does pollen stuff. She would be my my uh, arch nemesis if I were a DC hero, but I feel like I'd make a better DC villain, or it would at least be more fun to be a DC villain. Um, if I was a DC hero, my arch nemesis would probably be, I don't know, Calendar Man? Because I procrastinate everything, and he'd be angry about that. <laughs> That's a good one. I want to see that comic now. Calendar Man versus The Procrastinator. I like that. DC, get on it. I mean, I'd write it myself, but eh, I'll get to it later. You could, always, you could always apply at DC. I think I sent an application to Marvel like 12 years ago. That never went anywhere. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't go anywhere. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. that. That seems like a waste of time. I did send one to Blizzard. Uh, quite a while ago, and they said, sorry, your portfolio is not what we're looking for. And uh, in hindsight, I dodged a big old bullet right there. Yeah, you did. Um, and Blizzard is an apt topic today, actually, because we're going to be talking about tabletop role-playing games and video role-playing games. Or if you're talking about 4th edition, they're the exact same thing. Well, we'll talk about what some of the similarities and differences and inspirations between the two are, and... Uh, what's going on and what we think about them. But before we dig into that, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done the last week in hobby. Ed, why don't you go first? Uh, not quite as much as I had liked. I was on a roll for a while, but this last week has uh, spent most of my free time exercising like some kind of jock rather than doing any kind of... Uh, hobby stuff. So I never got around to finishing my demo of Song of Ice and Fire. But what I've played so far, I really like it. It seems like a worthy successor to my days of playing Warhammer Fantasy. It feels very streamlined. And in the context of video games, we'd call it uh, arcadey. I think gamist would be the term that we would use in context of board games, where it's less about like actual military strategy and more of just like playing the game and I also get a feeling that it was probably designed with uh, some form of competitive play in mind because just the way that the game works would be very easy to run for uh, competitive competitive events yeah that seems to be my impression of it as well that it's very much designed for 1v1 battles that are have a clear winner and can be done in a set amount of time yeah, it's the kind of game that you could play in maybe an hour, hour and a half compared to like Warhammer where it takes all friggin' afternoon to play sometimes. Yeah. So I'm I'm down for it. Uh, once in-person gaming resumes again, um, that'll be one that I'm going to want to do. I'm working on getting the Lannisters all finished up and might do some Wildlings if I can find a Wildling starter set. So that'll be fun. And then... Uh, still on my Dark Souls binge, so I'm almost finished with everything except for a lot of the big bosses in the first Dark Souls starter set. Most of the monsters are in some form of almost done, and I painted up the uh, Golden Boys, Orenstein, and Smog. Um, that was an interesting experiment in using metallic paint in an airbrush, since trying to paint a large surface area like that in metallic paint with a brush is just going to look not great, but I've also heard not great things about putting mica paint through an airbrush, but it actually worked a lot better than I thought it would. And uh, just 
pretty much doused them in brown ink after that. So I don't know how much more I actually want to screw with it because they kind of look good right now. But there's always that part of my brain that's like, you could do a little bit more. You could do a little bit more. But I, I feel like I shouldn't keep poking at it. I mean, you might want to highlight up some of the parts that catch the light a little, but also it's Dark Souls, so dark and grimy is Dark Souls. That's what I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to highlight that golden color? Because I've done it before with, like, uh, using silver before, but I feel like it doesn't necessarily highlight the golden color. It just lightens what's there and it makes it look more of like a silvery gold rather than like a really bright shining gold so i don't know i'm i mean i typically when i'm doing highlights on gold i just use straight white just because that's the you treat it as that's the point where it is shiny and reflective yeah i think maybe if i just hit it with some white like on like some of the extreme like highlighted portions or maybe even just go back with a straight gold and kind of hit some of those bright services and then, you know, put the the white on the extreme highlight, I think that might do it pretty well. Because I want to make them look very bright and shining, because in the game they're supposed to be very awe-inspiring and like, oh, look how fancy these lads are compared to everything else in Dark Souls for, for a change. Fancy lads. So that's pretty much my entire gaming week. Yeah, I did some stuff. I had a... Board game night with some friends. We did Root and Red Dragon in again. Um, probably going to try and get some different games into rotation here this next next time we do that. Enjoying those, though. Uh, they're good to good fun. It's nice to play the asymmetrical Root and swapping characters around so that... Or swapping factions around a bit so that everybody gets to try something different is uh, interesting. Get me this asymmetry... Yeah, it's very asymmetrical, so that is it it's a learning experience when you try to play a completely different faction and realize just how differently it operates from what you've been doing the previous time. I definitely feel like Root is probably gonna be one that's up my alley because uh I think asymmetry might be like maybe my second favorite game mechanic of all time. Yeah, and Root is the most asymmetric multiplayer board game, like multi-faction board game that I think I am familiar with. The Rebellion board game, the Star Wars one, is also asymmetrical, but it's two-faction. That's another one that I want to play. I've just never gotten around to it. Well, do you remember Do you remember playing the Rebellion computer game? Yes. In fact, I uh, have that on Steam. Cool. Then you've played the Rebellion board game. Yeah, but I want to I want to play the board game, or does it just lose something without the really janky artwork? It does not. It's actually quite a good game. I haven't played it in a long time, but when I did, it was a lot of fun. I feel like someday we should try and attempt the madness of a grand unified theory of Star Wars gaming. Yeah, someday we should. Not today, though. Especially now that uh, Dark Sun is coming to uh, uh, Legion. No, not Dark Sun, Black Sun. Yes, now that we're getting Scum Legion. Um, I also had two Eberron games. In the first one, the party... In order to get information and to sort of set in motion their plans, the party had to kidnap a couple of city guards who were witnesses to a poisoning that blah, 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 political stuff. They went about this in a series of hilarious fumblings and, like, it, it it was very... Whoopsies were made. It was hilarious. Lots of oopsies, including the warlock casting sleep on the guards in A Kingdom of Elves. <laughs> you are getting sleepy. No, I'm not. All it managed to do was put his own familiar to sleep. Meh. <laughs> That was perhaps the the highlight of that. Oh, and then he tried to cast Banishment on an ally of the party to hide them from the guards. Um, okay. And if this had been part of the plan from the get-go, the ally would have, like, 
deliberately failed the save to avoid being tossed into another dimension briefly. But it was not part of the plan and not communicated in any way, so the ally got to make the save and passed it with flying colors. I was gonna I was gonna say, did he get like thrown into the uh, Hellraiser dimension? No, um, but the warlock basically burned both of his spell slots doing nothing because of this. Failure. And then they managed to capture one of the guards and brutally murder the other? Bro, what are you doing? The odds of them becoming wanted fugitives in this kingdom just keep rising. Sounds like some kind of, like, crazy Quentin Tarantino-type shenanigans. Yeah, there's a little of that. They then dragged the unconscious guard to a hideout that they had cleared from bandits earlier. And the bandits had come back to, like, clean up and retake it because they didn't think the party was gonna, like, come back and use it. It was a little bit of a miscalculation on both sides. And, well, uh, yeah, got information out of the guard, kind of promised to cast Resurrection on the one they killed. Um, because technically they're a good party. Well, most of them are. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. Yeah, that that's basically their... The paladin was the one who brutally murdered the guy, so... Quick, get him on ice. Yeah. They have ten days to do this before the spells that can bring him back to life kind of run out of time. So yeah, that's uh, that's one group. The other group had okay. The other group had previously negotiated with some Warforged to get certain items that the war that were in the ruin that was being occupied by the Warforged, and after they got the stuff, they were about to leave, and then they realized that their payment was quite small for this job and that they were their payment was essentially a small amount of coin to recover these items but they could keep anything they found in the ruins that they were supposed to loot but the warforged were there so they bartered with the warforged and the stuff they gave the warforged was actually worth about as much or more as the reward that they were getting so, in true murder-hobo fashion, they decided that they should kill the Warforged and take all the stuff. Oh, boy. Which they proceeded to do, although it was a little more scary because the Warforged had a mechanical Gorgon that almost turned one of the members of the party into stone. And then they discovered that there was also a, like, smuggler's den beneath this ruin and decided to do a little bit of dungeon crawling through a half-flooded smuggler's den thing. And, oh, there was a g, -g, g ghost down there, along with a few other things. They split the party, which is always a terrible idea in a dungeon. <laughs> Don't do that. Because one half of the party got attacked by a black pudding, which is a corrosive ooze, and the other half of the party got attacked by violet fungus mushrooms. Fun. Neither of these was like a serious deadly challenge to the party as a whole. But the Black Ooze managed to like corner the cleric and knock him unconscious and dissolve all his clothing. And a few items. Oh no, I'm naked. Why am I sticky and naked? It, it dissolves armor specifically, so that guy is now just wearing regular clothing in the dungeon. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's not a big dungeon, so they're they're probably okay. It's nice to get a little bit of a dungeon crawl in there. You got a dungeon crawl before you can dungeon walk. I'm not sure that's how it goes. They did manage to put the ghost to rest, rather than brutally murdering it again. And they found the the ghost was that of an elvish wizard, so they found like its spellbook and some notes it left behind. That party doesn't speak a lick of elvish. <laughs> Nice. Four characters, and, like, three of them speak draconic, multiples speak infernal and primordial and all these other languages and goblin and stuff. None of them speak elvish. It's kind of a running joke at this point. But yeah, my D&D campaign's going strong. And that has been the weekend hobby for us. Woo! So on to the main topic. 
tabletop role-playing games and video game role-playing games. I swear we're not a video games podcast. We've talked about some video games, but we are not a video game podcast. We are not going to be running... We are not going to be streaming stuff in 4K. Or any K. I don't know what what K human visual acuity is, so that's whatever whatever your vision is, that's what you're streaming your board game in. This seems accurate, yes. Tabletop role-playing games and video role-playing games kind of started around the same time. So Dungeons & Dragons was released in 1974 uh, with the first, like, little published booklet, which sold about a thousand copies, and then they sold a few thousand more the next year, and it expanded out of there. In 1974, after Dungeons & Dragons came out, a couple of guys at the University of Southern Illinois took their booklet of Dungeons & Dragons that they had bought and put it onto a mainframe computer that they were using because they were computer science students. And they created DND, a video game. It was, generally speaking, the first interactive game to use boss monsters. Boss monsters! And it was Dungeons and Dragons. You created a character and ventured into a multi level dungeon to get treasures, and, you know, you ha it had a little overhead view of the dungeon, and it implemented a lot of the basic concepts of Dungeons and Dragons. Is especially, like, Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. So, this, like, origin of role-playing games, tabletop and digital, is kind of linked. The early mainframe Dungeons & Dragons video games, and then the text-based ones and visual ones and stuff, were mostly made by people who were also playing Dungeons & Dragons, you know, offline, but wanted to do it with the computers that they were all using because they were all computer science students. Nerds. That's the only people who were making video games in the 70s. And as time went on, they made more and more of these and, you know, developed different and different things. Uh, first, they had MUDs, which stands for multi-user domains, which were multiplayer versions where it was usually played by text or with some sort of very simple graphic map that multiple people on, like, connected computer systems were able to play at the same time. These are kind of where PvP games came from. Think of them as the primordial MMORPG. Primordial soup of the MMO. Yeah, a lot of features that would later make it into MMORPGs were created in MUDs. And so the linkage between these is pretty, pretty strong. There are some big differences between tabletop and video game RPGs. Well, I think the biggest difference between the two is openness versus cohesion. Tabletop role-playing games, because they are not limited by a programming and like a storyline that's already been set have a degree of openness that is impossible to recreate. In any given situation in a tabletop role-playing game, players have the opportunity to solve it in essentially an infinite number of ways. Now, some of those may fail, some of those may be just downright stupid, some of those might be suicidal even. But when you walk into a town in a tabletop role-playing game, you have the option to interact with everyone in that town, you have the option to burn it down, you have the option to start a small business, you have the option to take the quests, and I think your dungeon master would appreciate it if you did. You have the option to go out and become bandits. You can do whatever you want. In a digital role-playing game, you might have the option to kill some people, you might have the option to buy a house. You almost certainly have an option to take some quests and, like, do jobs for the people there. 
but you're kind of limited in what you can do and how you can solve problems by the imagination of the people who came up with the game and the limitations of the software and hardware running the game. And that's kind of the the biggest difference between the two. However, as I mentioned, cohesion. Because in a digital role-playing game, everything is using the same system, using the same art design, using the same overall concept, it is going to be a lot more coherent. All the enemies are going to act in following the same set of rules. All the NPCs are going to, you know, react using a similar set of rules. And it can make the world feel more coherent and more cohesive. So that a digital role-playing game world is going to, like, there's going to be similar looking things everywhere. It, you're not going to be surprised by how that, how something is super different and super unusual unless the game intends for it to be super different and super unusual. Whereas in a tabletop role-playing game, it's going to depend entirely on the Dungeon Master and on the Theater of the Mind. So it's, you know, not as coherent. It's going to be different, and it's going to depend a lot more on a single person trying to handle everything, which sometimes is great and sometimes doesn't always work. I think for me also the big for me the big difference between a tabletop rpg and a video game rpg is that unless you're doing something that is very specifically multiplayer and role-playing focused there is actually very little role-playing going on usually you're playing a role that's been assigned to you by the designer and all you're really doing is essentially building the character the only real exception that I can think of would be Crusader Kings 2, which started off as just a medieval strategy game, but evolved into an RPG just because of how the player base treated the interactions between the characters and that the main game mechanic is how your character relates to others. So the role that your character is playing is much more important compared to something like uh, The Witcher 3, you're playing as Geralt and you're building up his stats, but you can't go and just be like an asshole version of Geralt or go do something, you know, entirely out of character for what they intended with the story. Yeah, the, that's the sort of the limitations uh, that I was talking about are there. At the same time, it's coherent, though, because you're playing as a single person and a single person who kind of has defined traits already the story it remains incredibly coherent to that character and to the people that that character interacts with and knows. But, of course, it loses the openness of being able to play as whatever you want. Whether that's, you know, instead of Geralt, you want to play as a mage from one of the, you know, from the School of Magic or whatever, or you want to play as the son of a nobleman, or you want to play as, I don't know, a vampire... I just want to run around in fantasy Poland and start a bar in the middle of nowhere. That would be perfectly acceptable in a Dungeons & Dragons game, but doesn't quite work when you're playing The Witcher. <laughs> Not really. Because, as The Witcher games might imply, you are going to be a witcher. And witch you must. You've got a witch. Where there's a witch, there's a way. That being said, there are role-playing games that give you a lot more wider opportunities to sort of define your character. A sort of limited version would perhaps be the Mass Effect games, where you get to, you know, you can choose appearance, you can choose romance options and paths, and there's also a mechanical, like, are you a good guy or a bad guy or sort of in the middle, or, you know, the renegade paragon, make good choices, make douchebag choices option. I always forget about Mass Effect. Shows how much of a, a cultural impact it left on my brain. Well, there's also, of course, KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic, which was their Star Wars version by the same people, and is sort of where they developed a lot of that system. And is the superior game. Shots fired. 
think it probably has the superior storyline, but the inferior gameplay. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Because Mass Effect, especially 2 and 3, have some excellent gameplay mechanics. The fast-paced, squad-based, and additionally, unlike, say, The Witcher, Mass Effect, and KOTOR have a party. You get to add people to your team that's going to go off and do things, much like a classic role-playing game where it's not just one player, it's many people involved. In this case, some of the people are non-player characters and, you know, have their own jobs and are part of the system, but it makes it much easier to do stuff if you are if you have people hanging out with you. Which reminds me that I need to get a companion in Skyrim because my lone wizard running around is having a hard time fighting everyone. <laughs> been playing Skyrim again. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I played Skyrim, but I can't even remember what I was doing last. I don't think in any Elder Scrolls game I've actually followed the plot. I've just kind of wandered around and done whatever I want. With the exception of maybe Morrowind, since Morrowind is a little bit more railroady. It it is not. Oh. Well, and get, I guess in that case I was just a square and just followed the plot for a while. Morrowind is so not railroady that once the main plot gets you to the second town of Balmora, the main plot guy goes, uh, go off and do some other stuff and come back to me when you're ready to progress the main plot. Maybe go join one of the guilds and do one of their plot lines. You're literally told that, like, well, you're here to progress the main plot, but go do some other stuff and then come back when you feel like it. And you don't have to come back ever. Touché. There is nothing that forces you to come back and do that. It's It's been a long time since I've played Morrowind, but Bethesda just... Make remake Morrowind, you bastards! You've released, you've literally released Skyrim for the Alexa. You can you can do an updated Morrowind. Just do it. Yeah, um, there are a bunch of modders who have been working on updated Morrowind graphics. Yeah, I've seen the Skywind stuff. It looks amazing. Yeah, I I would like them to finish that someday. Which is which is maybe possible given that we have no idea when the next Elder Scrolls game will come out so never they're just gonna keep milking uh skyrim put in some microtransactions in there so they can keep stealing your money how 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 would you even do that they'd they'd find a way do you have to pay every time you want to do a dragon shout probably or they limit they artificially limit the number of dragon shouts you get but for nine dollars you can get uh, a pack of dragon shout charges don't give them ideas. Bethesda, stop listening right now. Forget what you heard. Todd Howard, if you're listening, first, hire me to design the next Elder Scrolls game. Second, no microtransactions. Third, um, bring back the guys who were in charge of the, the other game designers who worked on Morrowind for the next Elder Scrolls game. They should have a larger part. But that being said... Games like Morrowind and Skyrim are role-playing games that are more single-player and give you a sort of... Sometimes they give you more options of how to complete a quest, but a lot of times their quests are go someplace, kill someone, retrieve some item, and come back. And MMOs are known for this as well, where they have so many basic quests that are go collect 10 of a thing and then come back and give it to a person or protect someone as they travel to a certain place or kill all the bandits in these this location. Um, and these quests have sort of affected a little bit how traditional role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games work. You have a lot of times where you know, fetch quests, protection quests, and I guess exploration quests are seen as the basic building blocks of how you create a campaign. And campaign design in Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games, you know, it's a matter of how do you link together quests. For example, in Rime of the Frost Maiden, 
there's a quest that is, you know, go kill these people who attacked this town and recover the mead that they stole. It's very much, you know, very similar to a video game quest. Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is literally Skyrim for, like, the first five levels of character progression. Except you don't get shouts immediately or have to run away from a dragon in the first instance. Uh, no, but there is a random encounter where an ancient white dragon uh, shows up. I've yet to roll that one, but I hope to someday. Well, I, I do have to say it wouldn't be Dungeons and Dragons without dragons, so that's fine. Well, we... We both still need a dungeon and a dragon. We haven't come across either one yet. I guess that's true. Eh. Depends on your the, your flexible definition of dungeon. Yeah, I, I feel like that uh, cave system we went through is a dungeon. Oh, yeah. I guess that does count as a dungeon. It's underground, technically. And that elf tomb thing was a very small dungeon. I guess maybe that would be considered more of a dungeon because it was crafted rather than a natural formation. Well, dungeons are just any sort of, like, enclosed area with multiple encounters. Got it. Um, and that one also had a puzzle, so even better. Woo! So yeah, video games. Speaking of dungeons, I would say, uh, if we're going to define a dungeon, a dungeon is an enclosed area that has multiple encounters... That could be anything from combat to traps to puzzles. A, like, large-scale dungeon has to have a boss at the end, or near the end, and usually some form of, like, treasure. Smaller-scale dungeons don't always have to have bosses and treasure. So here's a question for you. What's your, what is your favorite uh, video game RPG? Uh, probably Morrowind. I really like Morrowind, and I like how much freedom you're essentially given in it. Like I said, you don't have to do the main quest. The various stories that are taking place within the setting and within the world of the game are different, and in several cases, contradictory. You cannot be the head of the Fighters Guild and the head of the Thieves Guild, because one quest, one side... Uh, the quest involves destroying the Thieves' Guild. I think the same goes for the Assassin's Guild and... Well, there's two different Assassin's Guilds, and you can only join one of them. Uh, certain houses, uh, you you can only join... The, if you join one of them, you can't join the others. You know, you're forced to take a story path that is sort of unique to your character. You have to choose, unlike, uh, I think it was Oblivion, where I'm literally doing, like, everything except follow the main plot. Yeah, same in Skyrim. You can become the head of all the guilds and colleges and organizations. There's no limit to, like, prevent you from doing that. The only Skyrim limitation is that you have to choose between joining the... Imperials or the Stormcloaks, the two warring factions. Honestly, I picked the Imperials. Stormcloaks are racist as hell. That is generally my move as well. That being said, you could also pick I could also pick something like Fallout New Vegas. That's a good choice. Which has a similar level of variety available to you in that you can pick different factions, and doing so prevents you from joining other factions. Um, It does sort of have that same polarity between whether you want to be in the Legion or the Storm, or the uh, NCR. Although you get the option of, no, I just want to take stuff over, or no, I'm just going to let Mr. House take stuff over. I think in that one I picked the NCR. I typically pick the NCR over the Legion, Although I do also like making independent New Vegas. Also a good choice. Usually with myself in command. I do what I want. Because I'm going to run this town. And yeah, Fallout New Vegas is another good one in terms of like setting variety and the interesting stories that can be told in the game. And that it gives you a lot of choices as to what your character can do. 
and multiple options to accomplish the same goals. Um, your character can, you know, be smart and do things via being smart and pass through that. Or they can be a blunt instrument and, you know, get things done by just killing everyone. Or they can be talkative and talk their way out of a lot of problems and don't have to do as much combat. I do appreciate that Fallout includes uh, intelligence as a route to go. It's not something that seems to show up a whole lot, at least in the the games that I've played. Usually, if you have, like, an intelligence-based solution, it's somehow related to, like, charisma or something else, but, like, actual just being brainy is not necessarily an option that's always there and I would like to see more of. It makes more sense in Fallout because in that, intelligence is linked to technology. Yeah, I guess that's true. And things like medicine. Whereas... In traditional fantasy, intelligence is usually linked to magic in some manner. Hey, man, I can be an intelligent barbarian. You can, but it's not going to do you much good. He's very well read. I could see if you wanted to do something similar in a a fantasy role-playing game, you would have a charisma path, a, like, violence path, and a magical path to get things done. Um, and I guess probably a stealth path, because sneaking around and doing stuff is always a good choice. Sneaky is usually the way I tend to go. Yeah, especially in Bethesda-based games. Yep. That being said, like I was saying, you have these sort of multiple options available to you, but there's a pretty strict limit. You can only have options that the game designers came up with when they were making the game, and... They only have so much time, and they can't come up with every potential option. So you're limited by what they thought of when they were making the game. Whereas in a tabletop role-playing game, if you walk into town and you talk to the bartender and he says, oh, I want you to go solve this problem for me, whatever idea you come up with doesn't have to be something that the Dungeon Master planned for. Most dungeon masters should be able to, or game masters, I guess, should be able to think on their feet and adapt to whatever plan the players come up with. Uh, Example, in that Eberron game, where I was talking about how the players decided to try to bait these two guards, I just, I did not anticipate whatever plan that they ended up coming up with. I set up a couple of guards who were going to be, you know, hanging around in a marketplace. And then the players were free to do whatever they wanted to, you know, talk to those guards or convince them to help them or capture them or whatever the player goal was. In this case, they decided to cause a scene to get the guards to come over to them. And then I guess the plan was to cast sleep on them and just drag them away. But it didn't work. This was a major oversight because obviously they were elves and elves cannot be put to sleep via magic, which the player casting sleep should have known because he was an elf. But, yeah. And then they, like, caused an incident with the guards and basically the guards arrested them and they agreed to go with them until they got into a back alleyway where they could turn around and jump the guards to try and, like, knock them out. But they didn't quite get the message that they were knocking them out until after they had brutally murdered one of them. So, you know, that would be a lot harder to handle in a role-playing game. Or in a video role-playing game. You would have to have specific options for distractions, specific options for being arrested, and then for partway through, deciding that you're going to knock out the guards and take them back to your hideout to interrogate. If the the designer of the game didn't anticipate these concepts well in advance, the game wouldn't be able to handle them, and you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, you basically need some kind of video game run 
by a game master who has pretty fair leeway in what they can do with the game. In that case, what you're talking about is a virtual tabletop. Woo! Our favorite. Which, which is what I was using to play these Eberron games. The big difference, I think, between a video game RPG and a tabletop RPG, even if the tabletop one is played virtually, is the existence of a human game master. That there is a human in the system who decides and handles what is going on in the world and how things react to player actions. Um, because mechanically, you can copy from one to the other. Uh, the Baldur's Gate games, for example, were mechanically Dungeons and Dragons. Second edition, for initially, and then later ones were 3.3 and 3.5. Yeah, the originals were second edition, and I have tried playing uh, the remasters in full 3.5. And man, that game is a lot harder in 3.5. They have like a system where you can do, you know, your like regular regular gameplay where it's kind of uh, tweaked in your direction, which is how they had it for the original games. But for the remasters, you can do full 3.5 where it is, it follows, you know, the rules to the book and the game is just so much more difficult. Your party just gets absolutely massacred. It's nuts. I think that's because 3.5, is a little rougher in low levels if you are not cheesing it the way that you could in Baldur's Gate with second edition rules. Because you could cheese it pretty damn hard. Yep, that's the only way I ever made it through that game. <laughs> but at the same time, video game rules and concepts get brought into tabletop games. Uh, fourth edition Dungeons & Dragons is perhaps the largest example of this. The one time we talk about 4th edition. Yeah, where a lot of the concepts that were used to like revamp the game from 3rd and 3.5 were drawn from MMOs that were popular at the time, mostly World of Warcraft, but there were others as well. Dividing classes into strikers, controllers, I forget what the other subtypes are, because I'm not a big 4th edition person, but and setting up powers that are based more on doing damage in different ways and creating different mechanical effects, they drew heavily on the things they thought made MMORPGs fun and attempted to translate that into tabletop role-playing games. This perhaps didn't work as well as they thought it was going to, because so many of the things that were in it got reverted when 5th edition came out. But there are still people out there who like and prefer 4th edition. And more power to them. If that's the game that you want to play, play that game. I feel like there's there's kind of like a place for that game. And honestly, it just depends on what your play style is for your particular group. Much like any other game out there. Yeah, if you want a well-balanced, combat-heavy game system that focuses a lot on making combat interesting and having lots of moving parts available to any player and not overpowering anyone, then 4th edition might be for you. If you want something that has a little more emphasis on roleplay and exploration and some of the other aspects of the game, maybe go for 5th edition. In any case, I think the point is that it's not a one-way street. Video games influence tabletop games, which influence video games, which keeps going back and forth. There's a lot of back and forth, and the uh, tabletop games are not inherently superior to video games, and video games are not inherently superior to tabletop games. I think depending on the day, my, uh, my outlook on that goes back and forth. Yeah, um... There are things that are better about video games. For example, many video game RPGs don't require you to have other people scheduling to play them. I'm sorry, this game uh, will not run every other third Thursday. Yes, whereas 
the amount of things you can do in traditional games is much higher, and that great social aspect of hanging out with people and playing the game is something that is sort of available in MMORPGs, but I feel like it's weaker. Yeah. But also, I was never really super into MMORPGs. I played a, I played War, Warcraft for quite a while, but I did it pretty much as an exclusively solo experience for, I don't know, whatever reason. I can't... I played a little bit of Star Wars Old Republic. I played a little of Dungeons & Dragons Online. I think the only thing that you could consider like an RPG that I've played multiplayer is uh, Crusader Kings 2, because I had some coworkers who were into that. And so we'd play online. I usually end up as like uh, Estonia... And then my coworker, who was Swedish, he would play as Sweden, and we'd do Viking raids together. I think that's about as close as I get to it. Yeah, I know there are large communities of people who play online multiplayer role-playing games and have a lot of fun and, you know, have communities from it. I haven't been part of one, so I can't really talk about it that much. I will say that I find the communities of, like, tabletop games preferable? Yeah. In that the ability to meet up physically is more common there. And I think the friendships I have gotten from tabletop games have been better than any of the friendships I've gotten from video games. And there's there's another element that uh, the show Tabletop Minions on YouTube, if you guys don't watch that, you should. It's a good show. Uh, the producer of that, he makes the point that the social contract between tabletop games versus video games is often very different. Yes. Whereas if you're if you're playing, you know, a game in a physical space somewhere, or even if you're have them like as part of your virtual D D group, if they're being a dick, you know, and you don't want them as part of your group, you can just say, Okay, uh, we're not gonna play you anymore or you've gotta work on whatever is going on before you can come back to the group compared to if you're running a raid in Warcraft and you end up with an asshole on your party, there's really nothing you can do unless the other players agree to kick them. Or if you just decide to leave yourself. Um, I remember there was a game of uh, not league of legends. The other one that's done by valve um, Dota. Yeah. Dota two. I had, these two Russian guys on, on my team and the whole time they were screaming at me. And the only way I knew it is because they were shouting the name of my character. And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. And I eventually just dropped out. Cause I'm like, I'm, you know, typing in the chat. I don't speak Russian. I don't know what you're saying, obviously. And it's like, you know, if somebody starts doing that in a tabletop game, you can just, you know, be like, get out of here, have other players intervene, but it's harder to do that on the online space. And just, being online just gives people that veneer of semi uh, anonymity where they're more likely to be an asshole. Whereas it's a lot harder to do that to somebody's face. If you're playing in D and D in person. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that's uh, probably where we're going to end the discussion of tabletop and video game RPGs with the saying of play, whichever one you prefer, but probably check out the others. If you think they sound interesting, play what you want. Don't be an asshole. So we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. Yay. Ed, I think you have a board game you want to talk about? Yep, this is one of my favorites. Uh, fittingly, got started playing it uh, online via Xbox Live, and that's Carcassonne, uh, published by Z-Man Games. It's a worker and tile placement game uh, inspired by the ancient French-walled city of Carcassonne. Uh, you have a stack of tiles. Each player takes turns taking a tile off the stack and putting it onto the map so that it fits in someplace. Um, you have to make sure that the various features on it line up. And then once you put down your tile on the map, you can choose to place a worker. Uh, you can put down knights if it's in the city, farmers if it's on farmland, uh, brigands if they're on highways, or uh, monks if they're in uh, monasteries. And there's different features. You have the roads, cities, 
monasteries, farms, and I think that's it for the base game. And every time you complete one of these features, uh, if you come to like a crossroads or if you finally seal in a city or if you put nine tiles around a monastery and you have a worker on that uh, tile when you placed it, you get to score points uh, based on how those different features score. So it takes a little bit of planning because you can only put down a worker on a tile that you've placed. So you have to make sure that, you know, is this something that based on my knowledge of the tiles, I have a good chance of completing, or is it just going to end up a wasted, uh, a wasted meeple? I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of expansions that have come out for it since, um, the only ones I have, I believe are the river expansion, which starts off the game, uh, with placing river tiles that you build around. And then the, uh, Abbott expansion, which adds Abbots and gardens and, they're just another feature that you can score on. Uh, we played it, I think, at our one of our last pre-pandemic game things. We played Carcassonne. It was good. I I recommend it. Yeah, I very much enjoyed it as well. It's a good game. It has a nice balance of difficulty to rules lightness. Yep. So it's something you can play with people who understand Catan, but maybe don't want to get anything crazier. It's one of those that's easy to learn, but has like a fair amount of actual strategy to it. Yes. And, you know, the meeples are nice. Oh, I like meeples. We need more meeples in the world. Meeple population issues. Yep. And that has been Board Game Corner. Yay! This has been Knoll Country for Old Men. Uh, if you like this episode, feel free to, you know, rate us on whatever platform you're listening to or like it or whatever feature that platform uses. Um, you can find us on social media at Knoll Country on Twitter, the bird website, or just Knoll Country on Instagram. Feel free to listen to more of our episodes. We This is number 25. Woo! Woo! And we will continue to do this until we get bored and start doing something else. Yep. Ed, anything you want to promote, say, do? You can follow me at Adam Adness on Instagram. I promise I'll start posting again there someday. Like Troy said, you can see me being weird on the Bird website, posting nonsense on our Twitter page. Uh, go ahead and support your Ukrainian charities and your LGBTQIA plus charities with your money dollars. People need it. Shit's getting weird out there. And go Knowles! Go Knowles.